Coast to coast, nonstop action. This is the premier source for National Hockey League news. Scores, highlights, and the Anaheim Ducks. It's time to light the lamp with Alexis Downing. Welcome to Light the Lamp here on Duckstream. I'm your host, Alexis Downey, coming to you from the Paul Korea studio. You are listening to episode number eight, and we are officially one week until puck drops for the Anaheim Ducks regular season. I am so excited, and I can't wait to see all of you out at Honda Center next week. Now, the Ducks finished up their final preseason home game last night at Honda Center, beating the LA Kings 5-4. They moved to 4-2 in the preseason with a perfect 3-0 record at home. That's some great momentum to start the season. They have one more preseason game left, and that will be on Saturday at Crypto.com Arena up in LA. Now, looking at last night's game, we saw some great chemistry from the Max Jones, Derek Grant, and Pavel Regenda line. They were really the stars of the night, combining for 10 points between the three of them, and they accounted for four of the five goals that were scored, Frank Vitrano getting the power play goal as the fifth goal of the night. Now, Regenda has had a fantastic camp, really showing off all of his skills. Now, last home game, he sat out. Dallas Aiken saying that he needed a little bit of rest. But what we saw from him last night back out on the ice proved that that rust really paid off. He had three points. Another guy on that line, Max Jones, a two-goal night for him. Great to see him back out on the ice after missing so much time last season. And one of the best goals of the night coming from Jones off a pass from Derek Grant in between the legs. Look up that highlight if you haven't seen it. Really a great play. And I just liked what we saw from the team last night. They did go down a couple goals in the second period, but they found a way to answer back and keep that fight going in order to get the win. Now let's look at the scape of the NHL. A big piece of league news happening yesterday. The New York Islanders signed Matthew Barzell to a eight-year contract with a 9.15 average annual value that will begin next year. Barzell has been the guy for the Islanders, so it was really important for them to lock him down. He's one of the best puck possession players in the NHL and really skilled at reading defenses. Now, last season was a little bit disappointing for him as well as the Islanders in general, but it was important to get him signed, obviously, for the future of the Isles. Barzell did note to the media how much he loves the fans in New York, and that was a big part of him wanting to stay there and sign a long-term deal. Now, my Pacific Division preview continues on today as we continue to get closer to puck drop for the regular season. And today we have two teams that are sort of related in some ways that certainly have a little bit of a rivalry. Beginning with the Calgary Flames, the team finished with 111 points last season, third in the Western Conference and first in the Pacific Division. Now, the Flames made a run in the Stanley Cup playoffs, but they were taken down in the semifinals by the Edmonton Oilers. And if you remember watching those games, those were truly some of the most entertaining of the postseason. There was so many goals scored. It was insane, honestly. Now, they were one of the busiest teams in the offseason. One of their star players, Matthew Kachuk, being traded away to the Florida Panthers in exchange for Jonathan Huberto and Mackenzie Weger. These are some great additions for the Flames, and I'm really curious to see how this team is going to gel this year. They also lost their guy in Johnny Gaudreau, who left and signed a deal with Columbus. 
but the team was able to sign Nazem Kadri, who will be a great second-line center for them. Also in net, Jacob Markstrom having a strong season last year. He carried the team through the first round of the playoffs and was a Vesna Trophy finalist. So the Athletics' Eric Duhatchett spoke with me about the season that Calgary had and what to watch for this year in this next segment. Now I'm joined by the Athletics' Eric Duhatchett, who covers the Calgary Flames and has for a while, a team that has had a lot of things going on in this offseason. And to be honest, Eric, the Flames are one of the teams I am most excited to see this season. Well, I, I would agree with that. I think that, uh, you know, like my job now is as much covering the, the National Hockey League as, as the Calgary Flames and, and very rarely have the Calgary Flames in their history become a national story. But but they did this summer and it was partly because, as you referenced, uh, you know, they lost two of their top three players, you know, one in, in free agency, one on the trade market. It's, it hasn't happened very often in NHL history that a team has stripped itself of the number two overall scorer in the league. That was Johnny Gaudreau, uh, who went to Columbus as a free agent and then traded away number eight, Matthew Kachuk, to, to Florida. And then that trade got Jonathan Huberdeau back. And I think the the early feeling in, in Calgary was that this was a team that was in free fall. And in fact, the general manager, uh, Bradstreet Living, did an excellent job of stanching the bleeding. You know, he made a, an excellent trade with Florida to get a, a comparable offensive talent back in, in Huberdeau, picked up a terrific top three defenseman in, in Mackenzie Weger, um, got a future draft choice that they were able to flip to Montreal. Uh, in the exchange for Montreal taking on Sean Monaghan's contract. And when they were able to divest themselves of Monaghan's contract, that put them at the head of the line to sign Nazem Kadri away from the defending Stanley Cup champions. So this is a reconfigured team for sure. On paper, it looks at least as strong as it did last year. But I've been doing this long enough to know that that having success on the ice trumps everything that that can happen on paper. And I think that that they will be an interesting story through the first month because we we just have to see how the chemistry of this of this new group evolves. Well, let's start with Jonathan Huberdeau. I mean, how much of an adjustment is this going to be for the team getting him in on the top line? It shouldn't be too much of a, a of an adjustment only because the the skill set that Huberto has is it, a lot like like Johnny Gaudreau's on some level. I, I think a lot of people believe that Huberto was one of the premier setup men in the league. You know, he mm-hmm. set a record for assists by a left wing uh, last year. I don't think he's quite as dynamic as as Gaudreau. So you know, Gaudreau on the rush, um, especially on the power play, taking the zone. Like he had, he has a skill set that that's very unique in, in the National Hockey League. Uh, you know, similar to Patrick Kane in in, in his prime. But Huberto has other strengths. You know, he's he's a bigger man. He's he's physically stronger down low. Uh, but the one thing that they can do is pass the puck. And so I I think that is. That is as close as there is to a wash. I mean, you know, the two of them each had 115 points in the National Hockey League last year. Uh, they, you know, the, that, those were career years for, for both of them. They had outstanding years. But but Huberto uh, playing with uh, Elias Lindholm isn't probably going to be that much different than uh, than Gaudreau playing with him. The problem, of course, is that they haven't adequately replaced Matthew Kachuk on on the right side. You know, Kachuk actually came into the NHL as a left wing played there most of the early part of his career, was switched to the right side last year because the Flames were so weak there and just had a spectacular season. And without him, 
I mean, they're 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 a winger short as far as I'm concerned. If you look at their the configuration of their top nine forwards, strong down the middle, excellent on the left side. The right side needs work. And you know, the person who's had the the early opportunity in camp to fill that void, Tyler Toffoli, has had a, a, a relatively slow start. So there is a history uh, dating back to their Los Angeles days. You know, between the coach Daryl Sutter and, and Tyler Toffoli. So that leads me to think that uh, that uh, Foley will have a little bit of a leash there to to find his game, but he hasn't found it yet, and it has to happen pretty soon. With the team being strong down the center, Nazem Kadri being one of those names, do you think that this will potentially take pressure off the top line, having Kadri to produce some more from that second line? Yes, yeah, I do. I think that's a good observation. You know, for, for well, there's a couple of things. Well, first of all, you know, Kadri has that sort of snarl and bite that you win with in the playoffs. You only had to look at the contributions he made for Colorado in the playoffs last year to understand that, you know, Kadri focused, not distracted by, you know, uh, you know, the, the kind of stuff that happens after the whistle. When he was focused on hockey last year, he was outstanding. And the Flames have always liked him. I mean, they tried to trade for him. When he was a member of the Toronto Maple Leafs, and and uh, and they had a deal in place, and and Kadri exercised his no move and and nixed it. But but this was a player that they liked, and I think that partly it's because the Flames, as a team, have had some good regular seasons. It wasn't that long ago, I think 2019, that they were second overall in the NHL. They have not been able to translate regular season success into playoff success, and I think that they believe by Kadri's nature, in addition to his production. That he is someone that will that will help them, you know, do better in in, in the postseason. The other thing is that Kadri doesn't have a long history of playing against Connor McDavid, but when McDavid was in Edmonton and Kadri was in Toronto, he had some epic battles. And so, you know, if you're a fan of the Calgary Flames, the most important thing is how they do against the Edmonton Oilers. They're, you know, an important division rival. They have the two best players in the game, arguably, in, in McDavid and, and Drysital. You know, if you want to get past the second round of the playoffs, probably Edmonton is going to stand in your way. And I just think that they believe they have a better chance of getting the edge on Edmonton with Kadri in the lineup and Michael Backlund playing a little down the depth chart as as the number three center than the configuration that they had a year ago. So do you think the Battle of Alberta will be even higher stakes this year? Well, I, I do uh, for a couple of reasons. One, uh, you know, in, in Calgary, I think there was some talk that, you know, the window on, on this group might be closing in terms of championship con- contention. And they kind of doubled down by bringing in veteran players. You know, you look at uh, if we're getting near the final cuts. It looks like they're going to have a very, very veteran team uh, this year. So they're 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 they've pushed the chips in and, and they are going for it. And in Edmonton. Similarly, you know, they they solved their problem or they hope they've solved their problem by by bringing in Jack Campbell to to stabilize the goaltending. And, and you know, I mean, Connor McDavid has been in the league now, you know, for a for a long time. He, he's no longer, you know, the, the wide eyed kid coming out of out, out of Erie. He is clearly getting impatient mm-hmm. for some success in, in the playoffs. And, and, you know, the maturity of his game, the maturity of Drysdale's game. I mean, they were fantastic in the playoffs last year. I think they but they played two, you know, 33 points in in however many games they played. They 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 were they were excellent uh, and motivated and hungry. And so, you know, you see two teams that uh, that are 
you know, are, are not just sort of in a rebuilding mode or the future is in the future. The future is now. And, and, uh, and I think that they, they see each other as, as a measuring stick for, uh, for, uh, uh, you know, for how successful they can be. And also as, as a team that they have to get past if they want to get to the third round of the playoffs. Now on the goaltending front, Jacob Markstrom had a fantastic season last year, a runner up for the Vezina trophy. How do you see the kind of disappointing end for him last season in the postseason, fueling him into this next year? Yeah, well, it, it's true. Uh, you know, he, so last year was his second full year in Calgary. The first year after he signed that free agent contract was just okay. Last year was much, much better. And, uh, and he was actually, you know, quite good in the opening round against uh, Dallas. Mm-hmm. It was only in that uh, second round against Edmonton that he faltered a little bit. I, I, I mean, I, I think that he's a mature enough goaltender, has been around a long time. Uh, not everybody has, you know, their, their best game all the time. I, I, I think there's very little concern about Markstrom. I, the, the one part of the goaltending equation that they are going to be monitoring or that people like myself are going to be monitoring is how much will Dan Vladar, the, the backup play, because he's had an excellent camp when he had the opportunity to play last year, he was pretty good. And, uh, you know, the, the problem of course, is that, you know, Daryl Sutter historically, you know, going all the way back to the Chicago Blackhawks days, those years of running Los Angeles really likes to ride one goaltender. So, mm-hmm. you know, Jonathan Quick played a ton for, uh, for for Los Angeles when when Daryl was the coach originally in Calgary. I mean, Mikha Kiprasov played virtually every night. And I think that he needs to be talked out of playing Markstrom 60 plus games because I do think that Vladar is capable of playing one out of every three games. And if Markstrom's workload drops even a little bit, I think he will be fresher for a, a longer postseason run. Now, having covered the Flames for such a long time, do you see this team as being maybe the most exciting that they've had? I mean, certainly in recent years. Yeah, well, you know, I go back to 1989, the year that they won the Stanley Cup. Uh, they had 117 points. I think at the time it was one of the, the most successful regular season teams in history. Uh, six of the 12 forwards at, at some point scored that 50 goals in a, in a season at least once. And, and that didn't include Doug Gilmer, who was a Hall of Famer, who was more of a setup man. And and uh, and uh, so I, they have had, I mean, their team in the 80s, you know, competing against the the, the Gretzky Oilers was was the, the best team in, in, the, in the team's history. If you look at the period from 1990 on, very little playoff success, um, very, you know, pretty intermittent regular season success. They had that one surprise run to the Stanley Cup final in 2004, but that was with a team that uh, that was, I think, sixth best in, in in the Western Conference, and they just happened to to catch fire at at, at the right time, and they rode Jerome McGinley's goal scoring and Kiprasov's goaltending to an unexpected trip to the final, and they probably should have beaten Tampa. Um, so, but yes, if you're reflecting back on the last 30 years of of this team's history, um, this is as good a chance as, as they, they've had in a while. 2019 felt like a little bit of a mirage, mm-hmm. a 107-point team tied with Boston for the second-best record, lo- losing in the first round to a Colorado team that just kind of crept into the playoffs that year. But, you know, that was when Kale McCarr made his professional debut in the playoffs against Calgary. He was like so good from, mm-hmm. from the minute that he arrived. And, uh, you know, it, it felt... Um, 
like a like a lot of one versus eight matchups feel one-sided that one didn't actually feel that one-sided and when the eight team took them out I don't think everybody was completely surprised so it will be a, it, it's a it's an important year mm -hmm. for them you know Daryl Sutter was hired to you know to, uh, to because this was a win now moment he is a win now coach um, you know they're going to worry about tomorrow when tomorrow comes so uh, yeah a lot of pressure a uh, lot of expectations and we'll just see as I said at the start chemistry can be elusive in, in the National Hockey League if they can get the same chemistry that developed last year where they were greater than the sum of the individual parts they could be a lot of fun to watch and now from your national perspective how do you think that the anaheim ducks will size up in the pacific this season so I, i'm actually listening uh, listing them as one of my potential surprise teams and and i i say this to a lot of people when they ask me to, to look at a team i i i look at 32 rosters and, and I examine all the names and I put the, the depth charts together because sometimes staring at a depth chart makes you think, you know what, this team is better than I thought. Or maybe, maybe sometimes you think, oh, this team is worse than I thought. <laughs> I just look at the mobility they have on the blue line. I, I just think it all changed when they signed uh, Klinberg. You know, he's a guy that is an elite offensive defenseman. Now, there may be times when the goaltenders are, are wondering what's happening in front of him. He is, he is excellent. And he can really, he can really move the puck. He he is a, a modern day NHL defenseman with a lot to prove. You know, he only got the one year contract. Uh, I think he, you know, they may have misjudged the free agent market, but but he will be a motivated player for them. And then you know, you look at Drysdale coming on, and Cam Fowler is so reliable, and and you know, and Kevin Shattenkirk also has the ability to 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 play and move the puck and so you know you bring in someone like bull you to just give you those kind of invisible hard minutes that it, that every team needs and and a lot depends on john gibson you know at mm -hmm. times he's been you know outstanding in his career and there are other times when when it it it, it, it looks like it's a challenge for him but but john gibson at the top of his game the mobility on that defense you know, the, those young forwards, you know, how far can they go and how quickly can they get there? I, 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 to me, they're an interesting team. Mm -hmm. I'm not prepared to write them off the way some people are uh, because I, I see, I see an, well, I, I definitely see an upside there and, and I see it maybe even coming together sooner than people think. Eric Duhatchik of The Athletic. Eric, thank you for joining me here on DuckStream. My pleasure. To continue on with the Battle of Alberta, the Edmonton Oilers are next on the list in my Pacific Division preview. Now, the Oilers made it all the way to the conference finals last year before being beaten by the eventual Stanley Cup champion, Colorado Avalanche. And it was really cool to see the McDavid-McKinnon battle in the playoffs, despite it not necessarily leading up to the hype that we thought it would. Now, the Oilers finished second in the Pacific last year with 104 points, and they were led, of course, by their top guys in Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. They also did add Evander Kane last year, who was a key piece for them coming in and making an instant impact. 22 goals in 43 regular season games, and we saw a lot of him also in the postseason. He did sign a deal in the summer that will keep him with the Oilers for a bit. The group did have a coaching change midway through the season last year as Dave Tippett exited the team, Jay Woodcroft being named the coach, and he finished out the year strong for the team, leading them into the playoffs. Now, besides the high-powered offense that the Oilers have, 
They'll no longer have Mike Smith in net this season, but rather Jack Campbell as their new number one guy. So to talk more about the Oilers this week, I chatted with Jim Matheson, who has been covering the National Hockey League for 40 years. Listen now. Happy to welcome in to Light the Lamp Now, the Edmonton Journal's Jim Matheson. Thanks for joining me on Duckstream, Jim, to talk about the Oilers. My pleasure. So the Oilers finally broke through in the playoffs last season, making it all the way to the conference finals. How do you see this team building off that success this year? Well, hopefully better than they did in uh, 2017 when they won two rounds of the playoffs and then missed the playoffs the next year. Um, <laughs> they got kind of full of themselves when they beat the Ducks or they played the Ducks in the second round and lost uh, after winning the first round against San Jose. I think this is the Oilers' window, you know, right now with Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl, uh, the best player uh, in the world in McDavid, and certainly one of the ten best players in the world in Draisaitl. So, um, I think they learned uh, how to win last year. They certainly had trouble even winning one playoff round, and they won two last year. And then, I think you can take some solace when you lose to the Stanley Cup champions in the third round. You can say, okay, um, here's how we didn't measure up. Because you know the you know, color went on and won the Stanley Cup, um, so I think they're I think they're primed actually to certainly win the division now. If they can, I don't know whether they can get, anybody can get by Colorado in the West, but um, I think they're primed to win the division. Uh, I think it'll be between uh, Calgary and Edmonton. Now through camp and the preseason, who are some of the guys that have stood out to you? Um. Well, the veteran guys haven't played a lot, much like most of the veterans in preseason. They don't play much. Uh, they have a really good rookie winger named Dylan Holloway, who was a first-round draft choice a couple of years ago, played at University of Wisconsin. Um, he got a hat trick uh, uh, against Vancouver uh, in his uh, fourth uh, exhibition game. He's got uh, four goals. Uh, and he leads all the players in goals in the in the preseason. So uh, he came in as a bit of a wild card, thinking that if he didn't make the top nine, he was going back to Bakersfield in the American Hockey League. But he played on a line with Dreisaitl and um, Zach Hyman against Vancouver in a 7-2 win and got a hat trick. So he looks like he solidified his spot. Now he he's he's been the most pleasant surprise. Um, some of their, uh, some of their veteran players haven't played much. Uh, Jack Campbell has only played two exhibition games. Now he was very good against Vancouver, but Vancouver fielded a lineup that was borderline American hockey league. So, and he won a seven, two game. So I think Holloway has been the most, um, explosive player as a forward because they have so many returning forwards. There's not really much to say and who's been better in terms of young players but and Campbell off the games he's played has looked very good and certainly after playing a 40-year-old Mike Smith and a 34-year-old Amico Koskinen as their goaltending tandem last year uh, it's a welcome sight for fans here to have a 30-year-old goaltender as your starting goaltender and Jack Campbell. And you talk about Jack Campbell the team signed him as a free agent back in the summer a five-year deal uh, how much of a boost is he going to give them on the back end? 
well, he won't handle a puck as well as Mike Smith. I don't think anybody in the NHL handles a puck as well as Mike Smith, which is a boon for defensemen because they weren't hit often because Mike Smith would just pass the puck to them. Um, I think it is. I think he fits more in the in the in the win now mode because he's 30 and he immediately joins the core of McDavid and 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 Dreisaitl and Zach Hyman and. Evander Kane and Ryan Nugent Hopkins in the you know in the same um, sort of age bracket, and I think you know he still has to get over the hump. He was really good last year in the regular season for Toronto, <clears throat> but his game waned in the second half, and of course Toronto lost in the first round of the playoffs. But I I think there's enough there. Um, certainly there was enough there for the general manager Ken Holland to sign him to a five-year contract for five million a year. So. I think there's enough there that that he's going to be a, a 55 game starter and um, certainly healthier than Mike Smith, you know, had been the last couple of years. So there's a lot of a, a lot of promise here uh, that he can carry the load and he can play 55 games and not break down. Now, Jim, last season, Evander Kane came in and made an instant impact with the team. <clears throat> Uh, signing in this offseason a four-year deal, what do you think he can do to continue to elevate his role on the team this season? Um, well, he had 39 points in 43 games last year and then um, lit it up in the playoffs mm-hmm. too. So I don't know if he can do much more. They've, they've got him playing left wing with Connor McDavid. So I think if you're going to play the whole season with Connor McDavid, he, he could get 40 goals and he could get 70 points. No, he's never had that much. He's never had that before in the NHL. But it, he does seem um, – last year was a test drive for for Kane and the Oilers, you know, with Kane's, you know, troubled history um, off the ice. And he, he buckled down, and he was very good for the Oilers. And at the end of the season, most people thought they couldn't afford him and that he would just use this and go somewhere else. But I think he looked around and realized that in this tough cap world, Mm -hmm. he wasn't going to get $7 million a year. And so he came back to the Oilers for less than that, obviously, and for four years. So I think he's what he does for the Oilers is what he would do for pretty much every team. He can play with skilled players. He can score goals. He can kill penalties. He can play on the power play. And if push comes to shove, he'll fight. And there's not a lot of those players around. Um, You know, Tom Wilson comes to mind in Washington and he's hurt right now, but there aren't a lot of those five tool players who can do all those things plus be physical. So I think his physicality showed up against Calgary, which is why they beat Calgary in the second round of the playoffs. Um, And then Calgary couldn't handle him. And on the coaching end with head coach Jay Woodcroft, I mean, why has he been the right guy in Edmonton? Um, I, the right guy at the right time, probably, mm-hmm. I think Dave Tippett is a really good coach. And, and while the fans here didn't never seem to warm to Dave, you know, neglecting the fact that he's, you know, certainly in terms of career wins in the NHL, he's in the top 20 all time. And I think he was a good coach for a couple of years. I, it's the old new voice, you know, Maybe the the same sort of message, but delivered in a different way. And coming in when he did last year, when the orders were reeling, and then suddenly winning some games, he regained the confidence of 
the players on the team and certainly getting to the second round of the playoffs. Um, now all the players are on board. And I think, you know, I, you know, I hate to use the old cliche, but he did, has paid his dues and he, you know, he wasn't assistant, you know, he was in Detroit, won a cup there as a video coach and he was in San Jose for a long time with Todd McCollum, the LA Kings coach. Uh, and now he's got his own bench to run. And I think while he's only in his mid forties, he's been a coach for a long time. And I think he's just, he fits more with the young players in the team because he's younger, I guess. And I, again, that's a bit of a throwaway line that, you know, he relates better to younger players, but maybe he does, you know, Dave Tippett's closing in on 60 and, and Todd, you know, Craig, um, Jay Woodcroft is only uh, in his mid forties. So he relates a little bit better to the 25 year olds. And looking at the Pacific division overall, I mean, how competitive do you see it being this season? Obviously mentioning Calgary and Edmonton, and then looking at some of these other teams that have brought in a lot of new faces um, and are on the rise and sort of rebuilding. Um, well, Arizona is in in free fall, failed to get Connor Bedard. So I think he can scratch them. They'll be dead last for sure. Um, you know, the Ducks are rebuild. I think the third, but the third best team is still Los Angeles. I mean, they needed another offensive player and they got Kevin Fiala in the summer from uh, Minnesota uh, to give them a little bit more offense. And they gave the Oilers a tough time last year without Victor Arvidsson, who was hurt and drew Doughty on defense. So I, I, I think they're the third best team. Normally I would say that Vegas is a contender, but they don't have any goaltending mm-hmm. without uh, Robin Leonard. So um, with, you know, Thompson and, and, and Brissois and Aiden Hill, they're not, they don't have a starter. So I don't, I don't know how far they can go. Um, Seattle's interesting. I thought Seattle had enough offense last year, but their goaltending with Philip Grubar was not good at all. And now Chris Jeager's hurt. And so it's Grubar. If Grubar looks like the goaltender who was in Colorado, um, I think they'll challenge for a playoff spot. If he doesn't, um, they're going to scramble mightily again. And in Calgary, Calgary will fight Edmonton. I, remarkably, you know, as everybody knows, they lost Johnny Goodrow and then um, Kuchuk, Matthew Kuchuk said he wasn't going to resign. So then he scrambled and got Huberdo and, and, and Mackenzie Weger and then signed Kadri. So I think they're even stronger than they were last year. Mm-hmm. But that said, uh, they didn't look very good against the Oilers, so I think they're the second best team. And I'd like to say the Ducks can make the playoffs, but I don't see it. But they do have some nice young pieces, and they're doing it the right way. You know, they've got lots of good young players. They've got you know a couple of good young defensemen, and Drysdale and Zellweger's coming, and you know certainly they've got Zegers and, and and Terry and stuff. So they've got some good pieces, but they're a few years away. So. I, I think it's a two-horse race between Edmonton and Calgary, and I think L.A.'s got the third-best team. Thanks for joining me today, Jim, right here on Light the Lamp, and we'll see you in January. Thanks, Alexis, for this. Appreciate it. Well, it's time for my final quack, where I leave you with my last thoughts before closing out this episode. So, if you were at the game last night, you may have seen where the Jumbotron looked a little different in the later half of the game. Well, that's due in part to some really cool new technology that will be on display this season. 
All of the analytics from the game, including puck speed, ice time for players, and a rotating panel of which guys are on the ice. A really cool new feature for fans to see exactly what's going on on the ice and just to get a better idea about the game. I was a fan of it. I posted it on Twitter, and I think a lot of people also enjoyed it. So if you haven't seen it, you can check out my Twitter at Alexis Downey underscore to see the picture of it. Or of course you could just come out to Honda center and see it for yourself this season. Thank you for listening to light the lamp. Come back next time for more hockey talk here on duck stream. This is an Anaheim ducks, original production on duck stream.